now tapped in with the introspective father and son duo. Last name may be strange, but never strangers to the game. Adjust the listening devices and keep it live. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ay, coming in, yeah. Flex, I just wanna win, yeah. LABB, who we running with, yeah. 2233, I'm on 10 again. Yeah. Hello, and welcome to another installment of No Strangers to the Game. I'm Ja, and that's Troy, and today's episode is titled Sports, Distraction or Opportunity. Uh, but first, we want to get into our weeks and the coming weeks and just kind of catching up on each other's lives. Um, what's been going on with you lately? Uh, just uh, catching up, you know, as you know. Uh, this past week we had Thanksgiving, so I had some time off to relax a little bit, catch up on some things I needed to do around the house. Your sister and mom uh, had me putting up decorations, which, you know, I was trying to convince them to wait till you got home. Oh, <laughs> but, I see. <laughs> but uh, I didn't win that argument, so I ended up putting up the lights, and I don't know when the last time I put some lights up. So uh, that's, that's way out of my realm, but that's what I did. So when you have a little more time on your hands, you seem to do things that you wouldn't ordinarily do. So that, and then um, going back into work, um, we got a park project that uh, we're starting up. The contractors on site are mobilized. So uh, we should be moving some dirt and getting this thing kicked off. So I'm excited about that and just, um, you know, Ready to see what the next week and next few months ahead look like. How about you? Uh, kind of the same. As you know, I was out here um, for Thanksgiving. So spent a lot of the week kind of trying to catch up on some work, homework and stuff like that. And then just training every day, lifting and, and running and jumping and stuff. So um, it was good to be able to just, I guess, focus on athletics for this week and kind of the weeks coming forward because as school even continues, we're fully online. Um, as they don't want people to come back from the break and bring the virus. So we're fully online. And so kind of the same schedule because a lot of my classes are even already done. Um, but this coming week, we have our first meet, uh, indoor meet. I'll be running unattached. So that'll be a, a cool experience. And then two days after that, I'm headed home for a cool minute. So uh, it it's pretty good. I think I'm excited for the meet and excited to get back home at least for some time. We'll see how long that lasts. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, good things ahead. So let's get into today's topic, um, sports, a distraction or an opportunity. So to preface this, we're really talking about within the black community, whether or not throughout history, sports has been a distraction, kind of, you know, a way for us to forget about our problems and, you know, whether negative or positive, the way you look at that. Um, kind of distract us from what we should be trying to accomplish or should be trying to do as a community or an opportunity as we, uh, as a lot of, you know, the major sports are dominated by black athletes. Um, as we've talked about on past episodes, using that leverage that we have um, to create opportunity for our community and, you know, gain wealth and among many other things. So uh, to start today, I wanted to ask you and we wanted to get into this recent NBA protest. They were in the bubble. Um, the Milwaukee Bucks were about to play a playoff game. So a pretty, you know, important game to the season. And a guy, I can't remember his name. Who was it in Milwaukee? 
Yeah, I can't remember his name, but he had got shot in the back by police officer in his car in front of his kids, right? Exactly. And so the Milwaukee Bucks, with them, with it happening in their hometown, decided to protest that that day's game in, in, in protest of police brutality. Um, I'm not going to get into much into what happened. I'm going to let you get into that and kind of the results of it. But just give me your rundown of whether it was successful and whether you think that was a moment where we seized an opportunity or, you know, just what was your opinion on that in, in general? Well, in general, I, I think that's the athletes having the the awareness to take a stand and say, let's, let's step back for a moment. Let's assess what's going on. What can we do to bring some resolve or changes that are necessary. You know, in the past, that's never happened. I mean, I remember 1992 when LA, you know, exploded after the Rodney King verdict. Um, athletes didn't stop. They kept playing playoff games and it never even came up. Um, whether that's good or bad, you know, uh, you know, I don't want to get into that or just, you know, but for them to take a step back and assess what was going on and ask the question, what can we do, you know, to make these changes and make these improvements to me is uh, a step in the right direction. And I think it's pro progressive in that way that we haven't seen in many, many years. I don't know if ever really to where you have a whole group in a league, you had individuals step out and say, hey, we're going to not play or we're going to raise awareness and attention to this. But to have the whole league, not only Milwaukee Bucks, but other teams after that decided, you know, if they're not playing, then we're not playing. To have that solidarity and to come together and say, let's let's look at this differently, more in depth, so that we can bring some awareness and solutions to the problem. And I think just that alone was a win. Um, I think also there's obviously a whole lot more um, can be done and should be done moving forward. In that moment, I think with them um, coming up with some resolutions or action steps, you know, as far as the voting process and getting the owners to open up their facilities or arenas to allow people to have access to the voting um, in the various um, communities in which uh, baseball, some baseball teams, as well as I think football and these public spaces in which people could go and vote. So I think that was. That was a good step. Did it solve all the problems? Will it solve all the problems? No. But I think these type of actions and this type of awareness and looking at the issues, you know, is a good start. And I think it's, you know, takes us light years ahead of where we've been, you know, in the in the not so distant past, you know, probably in the last 30 years or so. And so in the past, we've had athletes who have taken stances, but to have whole groups stand together in solidarity. This is the first time that I'm aware of that happening, you know, at this level on such a giant stage. So for me, I think it, it was a win from that standpoint of just showing the solidarity. We'll see what happens in the future, not just as things arise and problems come about, but progressively moving forward with an agenda to have uh, changes, to make these changes in these communities so that you don't have to disrupt organizations and disrupt things, but you have a plan and an agenda that allows these um, problems to be resolved moving forward. Yeah, for me, it was interesting. I mean, I was contradicted because as as an avid NBA fan, 
And obviously we spent, you know, the previous five months to that without sports because of the pandemic. So to get the NBA back, we're getting into the playoffs. You know, I'm, I'm into the games and then they say, we're not going to play. And it was like, you know, because I want to watch the game selfishly, but I obviously understand the need to draw awareness and attention to it's an ongoing issue. And so I was contradicted by obviously, you know, my feelings about the latter one out. And I felt, okay, this, this, this is bigger than basketball. And I thought uh, it was funny. There was a tweet that I saw that I thought it resonated with me a lot. And it said, uh, sports and entertainment are a reward for a, for a functioning society. Um, and right now, and they were making the point that right now with the things going on, our, our society isn't functioning. You know, we have issues that we need to work out. And so therefore sports and other things need to be on the back burner, um, which I agreed with. But I want you to get into the idea of using your platform. I know we talked about they were able to kind of leverage the moment to get owners to, um, you know, open up their arenas for voting centers and really, you know, get behind the idea of, you know, pushing people to vote and putting their resources towards that. And that's a big, that's a big thing. Um, but it's, 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 it's an interesting balance because at the end of the day, you know, you don't have a platform without this sport. Um, but if you are refusing to play the sport because, you know, you're trying to use your platform, I mean, it, it seems like an interesting, you know, balance. How do, how do you handle something like that? And what levels do you take it to? Well, at the end of the day, like we said in previous, you know, shows, you have to know your value and know your worth. And you have to be willing to step out and have the courage to leverage that. And I think the athletes understood their value and their worth in that moment. And they did that. And so in any situation, you have to know that. Like, for instance, you take Colin Kaepernick four years earlier with his stance on, you know, police brutality and some of the ills that we have in our communities that he wanted to shed light on. Well, his, his protest didn't pick up the type of support till later on, probably a year or so later. And as a result, he was kind of ostracized and kicked out of the league, you know? And I think part of it because his value wasn't at the level of even having everyone do it or someone who was the premier, you know, the face of that sport. At the time, he wasn't. And so I think, you know, even though his intentions were well, and I think he would commit it to it and he would probably do it again, um, it didn't have the results that the the protest, or at least having to have him come to the table to discuss it and say, this is what we want in return for us coming out here and that's playing and doing the things that we want to do. Now, he didn't protest playing. He didn't say I wasn't going to play. He just protested the the national anthem. And so I wonder if that was a bigger issue rather than him just saying, I'm not going to play. <laughs> you know what I mean? So um, I think knowing your value, knowing your worth and being able to say, based on that, I can leverage to this degree, or I have to bring others who have just as much value or more value than me to where those that I'm trying to get to listen to will listen and pay attention so that we can have the conversation and the dialogue to begin to address these issues that we have. Yeah, no, it does. And I think the even bigger thing was solidarity within the NBA. I mean, everybody on every team, or at least, well, as far as we know, you know, all the teams decided, no, we're, none of us are gonna play. I mean, if, if one guy 
obviously, I mean, you think about the NBA, if LeBron James had, you know, make it a, taken a stance like that on his own, first of all, I think a lot of people would have stood with him. But two, he's big enough to where the sport would have stopped and we said, hold on, we, we got to reassess because we can't lose someone like LeBron James. But like you said, Colin Kaepernick wasn't of the status that, you know, a LeBron or take the NFL, for instance, a Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes now, um, the level that they're at. So it didn't it didn't hit home as hard uh, for the teams or for the league. Um, yeah. I think also just a moment. I mean, you had this, the, the, the tensions were so high and all that was going on. Had the cop, Kaepernick took that stance in this moment, who knows what the the results would have been or the, you know, people would have thought and how well, people I mean, would have responded. It's interesting because there's a lot of people kneel. I mean, like even the NBA, they kneel during the national anthem, every single player. Um, it's I think it's become not desensitized, but it's not as, I guess, vulgar to certain people to kneel during the national anthem because a lot of people have begun to do it. But let's get in a deeper into Colin Kaepernick just for a little bit. I want to talk about the di- the difference of his protest from you know others that we've seen. It was during the national anthem and the response. A lot of a lot of people, at least on the surface, likes to make it sound like, well, the reason I, don't, I have a problem is because he's disrespecting the flag or he's disrespecting um, the the military and you know those who have served our country, yada yada yada, so on and so forth. Give me, because I mean I think we both we both agree that 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 wasn't really what upset them. What do you think really upset those that didn't like what Colin Kaepernick was doing? Well, I think you know I think it was multiple things. I think. Initially, people probably saw that and say, well, you should stand for the national anthem on one hand. But I think as it was explained over and over again, I think people who didn't see it chose not to, because I believe that with sports, it has become something, even though there's a lot of issues behind it, particularly racially, there, this is a a space where we come together regardless of your color, your background, and you root for your team. And so on your team, you have, you know, people of different backgrounds, different ethnicities, but you're rooting for your team. Your team is at one color. So if you are a Raiders fan, your team is black and silver. And everybody on that team, you don't necessarily see the color, you're seeing that team as one. And so this is very few, one of few spaces, not only in this country, but globally, that people can come together for a time being and unite around a common, you know, goal of my team winning and coming together. And I think people probably felt that threatened, that this is the space where I'm comfortable for us to be able to come together and do some of these things that we do and root for our teams. And now that's being, you know, put in jeopardy because, you know, you have someone who is, you know, making a stand. And so I think that's part of it. And I think part of it was just, you know, people don't, didn't feel like it affected them as far as what the issues he would bring into to awareness. And, you know, so it's not, it's not my issue. Don't bring it to me at this time. This is my safe haven where I come, I watch the game, I watch the sports. I don't want to be interrupted or reminded of anything like that at this point. Right. And so I think those are some of the, the reasons why, you know, people who took offense to it, took offense to it, you know, at least from where I sit in my observation. Speaking of your Raiders, they took a, a tough loss today, huh? <laughs> but no, I think, I think I found and so it. so did your Rams. 
that was a close loss, but it yeah, was a loss. Still a yeah. tough loss. <laughs> but I think what what I what I was most disturbed with with people who found a problem with Kaepernick's protest is not always, but in a lot of those situations, those tend to be your First Amendment people. You know the the rights. You know we have rights as you know citizens of this great nation um, that others don't give us. Right, the freedom of speech. Free, you know they're huge on the First and Second Amendment. And the, here we go. This guy is exercising that right to the umpteenth degree, and you have a problem with it. And then, not to mention, I think the other side of it too was okay. He's disrespecting the flag. I'm like, okay, well, what about people who fly the Confederate flag? I, I mean, me personally, I'm not from the South. I'm not. I guess maybe I don't understand it, but I would find flying the Confederate flag extremely disrespectful to the American flag because that's a, a nation, I guess, at one time that we went to war with, right? I mean. <laughs> That would be like flying a Japanese. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like, it seems extremely hypocritical. And that's why I was, you know, I guess referring to the fact that it seems they have a deeper issue with some of these things that on the surface, they may, they may even subconsciously not understand why they had a problem with it. Um, But it was much greater than just the flag or, you know, the national anthem. Um, But let's get into a little, a little further back into history. Like we talk about the opportunity uh, versus whether it was a distraction in sports. One of the historical figures that we saw, and I think a lot of pe- people of color and you know black people in this country see as a figure of you know I guess us moving forward, right, and making progress was Jackie Robinson, integrating baseball, being the first player to integrate baseball. He went through a lot, but obviously he paved the way for you know countless others, other blacks, and even other you know people of color to come through and play baseball. You have an interesting take about the integration of baseball. Not necessarily Jackie Robinson. I think he was, you know, a figure that was still a good symbol. But give me your take about the integration of baseball. Well, I think the integration of baseball, if I was to go back and I was given the opportunity to say, how would we do this? I would not look at integrating players. I would take those teams or the best players from the Negro Leagues and create teams to integrate into the major leagues. Because then you have ownership, which we talk about today, where there's very few black owners or minority, quote unquote, minority owners in professional sports. Well, okay, let me let me cut in for a second. For historical context, he's talking about back before baseball was integrated, you had the Negro Leagues, which was, you know, okay. all black leagues that were a lot of times owned by black let's say figures in the community, whatever they did, they had the money to own the teams. Um, the teams were, you know, the, the, the players were great. It was entertaining. The Negro leagues made, you know, good money in the cities that they were in. They were able to travel, they were organized. Um, and once baseball started to integrate, they simply took the best players out of the Negro leagues and moved them to, you know, major league baseball. And in turn, the Negro leagues just kind of died off because they didn't have, you know, their, their talent anymore. So go ahead and, and continue on. So I think from an ownership standpoint and in a community where our resources were very limited, this has been an opportunity to have teams, professional teams, where those owners in those communities could benefit from it totally, not just individuals that were integrated into Major League Baseball. And so you have ownership and now you have opportunities for more jobs, for people in those communities. And so for me, that would have been the route I took. And you know, you probably have many people looking 
you know, hindsight is 2020, who may, may or may not have the same thought process. But for me, I think it would have been better for the black community because as a result of desegregation or so-called integration, a lot of our institutions were basically, you know, de um, you know, demolished, you know, yeah. because we began to go out and to purchase and were able to have access to the, you know, uh, mainstream uh, stores, businesses, which before we weren't as, um, didn't have the access, you know, in the way that integration gave us. And so that began to allow our community, our businesses, our institutions to basically disintegrate right before our eyes. And that to me is, has been a big problem. Although, you know, those organizations, those institutions, um, if we look back now in the, in the technology era, you know, where could they be? What type of jobs could they have offered? What type of benefits could be, um, you know, we have as a result of those entities being in place intact so that now you have the economic empowerment to continue to provide for the community uh the things that you know we still lack and that we still need so for me the overall integration of teams so now ownership in the black community was you know something that we gained as well as integration into a i guess an agency or an entity that could generate or allow us to generate more revenue. And so that's, that seems to be, and that's what I was, as I was listening to you speak, that was the biggest issue, right? Was the lack of ownership or the loss of ownership because as you integrated, yeah, these players were getting into the major leagues and they may have even made more money as a, as a result, but we lost ownership. Those black figures that own the teams no longer owned anything within, you know, baseball and entertainment and stuff like that. And that seems to be the biggest issue. Um, so in this case, would you say integration, as as bad as it may sound to, to even propose this, was integration, at least in this Major League Baseball standpoint, a distraction or an opportunity? Well, I think it was both. <laughs> I think it was a distraction from the standpoint of growing our communities economically. But I think there was an opportunity to move into mainstream yeah. and allow our businesses, our entities to grow and expand economically because now we would have a wider brace of people in which we could service and become potential customers. So, um, yeah, I think it was both in that regard. And at some point, I know during World War II, uh, I've read where the, me the Negro Leagues were um, drawing more in attendance than the major leagues. Yeah. And so it was definitely a viable league. They had viable teams and the talent was there. Uh, it's just, you know, the well, way that went down, it kind of, you know, well, it is what it is. Well, yeah. I and mean, you talk about that was a moment I don't think they understood their value and the leverage they had. Like you said, they were drawing bigger crowds than the major league. And so at the end of the day, it's like, we don't necessarily need to integrate. You know, we don't need to do any of that with you guys per se. Um, you know, we can work with you guys and we can do things with you guys, but I don't think they understood the value they had. And so, like you said, I think that's an important piece um, as you move through and you're trying to create opportunities, understanding your value. Um, let's move into, I guess this is probably moving up a little bit in time. In, in specificity, I think Muhammad Ali and Malcolm X's relationship is an interesting partnership 
for especially the black community at the time uh, where sports and politics kind of collided and do you think once again there was a distraction there or do you think there was an opportunity that was used um, with those two kind of I guess teaming up if you will well I think those two teaming up um had that been allowed to grow, it would have been interesting to see where that went because they were both polarizing figures. You know, those two guys, particularly Muhammad Ali, you know, both. And Muhammad Ali at the time, you know, as his name was Cassius Clay, he was very polarizing. You had many people, even in the black community, who did not, did not like Muhammad Ali. They thought he was too arrogant. They thought he talked too much those things that we look back now and, and praise him for in that time, many people, you know, didn't like him just as a result of that. And so I think had those two been able to work together, I think it would have really broadened Malcolm's platform and exposed him to a, a wider number of people. And um, so I think it would have been an opportunity. I think it would have definitely been an opportunity to reach a larger number of people because of Muhammad Ali's status and his, you know, kind of global, um, you know, persona in which, you know, he was there and people knew who he was. And, and as we could see, and I remember listening to Sister Soldier, for those of you who don't know who she is, look it up. Her name is spelled Sister, S-I-S-T-A-H, Soldier, S-O-U-L-J-A-H. And she was an activist in the early 90s with Public Enemy. But prior to that, she was more of an organizer in the community, socio-political, um, you know, strategies and stance in which she took. However, when she got with Public Enemy, she said that the things that I was doing was magnified because Public Enemy had a platform. They could reach millions of people with one song. They could reach more people than I could reach writing, you know, several books you know, over time. And so being able to use that in a way that's effective, I think is an opportunity uh, that we need to begin to look at, not to say that artists and entertainers should be our spokespeople, but how do we use those platforms to get the message across to many, many people who may not, you know, otherwise be able to hear what we have, those who are the scholars, the academics, the community organizers and those who are in those positions to make those changes to where we to get that information out to uh, a large enough number of people to become aware of it. Yeah, it's, and you can even expand that group as I sit here and think about it. You had, and I, I don't, I don't remember. I wasn't alive. I don't know why I'm saying remember. But you know, thinking about what I've learned, um, you had Jim Brown, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Bill Russell. Um, and I remember a picture where they're all like, kind of like with Martin Luther King. And so it seemed like a lot of the prominent athletes of that time were kind of, I guess, once again, teaming up with, you know, social activists and, you know, people working for change to use, once again, their platforms to, to create awareness. And I imagine, you know, as much as we shouldn't idolize per se um, or glorify, you know, athletes and, and, and you know, entertainers, um, I do think you know it, it is somewhat reassuring and encouraging to see people of prominence within your community standing kind of for the same things you stand for and, and fighting you know hand in hand with you and so to see that had to be encouraging especially at that time yeah i know there's a, a movie that's i think it's netflix that'll be streaming 
either December or January. And it talks about, and the, the movie is about the night of when Muhammad Ali was to fight um, Sonny Liston in Miami. And you had Jim Brown, you had Muhammad Ali, you had Sam Cooke and Malcolm X. And as I understand, those four guys were looking to create some economic, political, economic power in the black community. And they were working together to join their forces to do those things. Um, and so, as we know the story, you know, Muhammad, not Muhammad Ali, but um, Malcolm X and Sam Cooke were both killed. Um, Jim Brown is still around and Muhammad Ali recently died. But it would have been interesting to see what those four guys could have done with the network of people that they knew and surrounded with and you know the agenda that they were pushing it would have been really interesting to see the results of that had they been allowed to continue on and and, and bring that to fruition okay malcolm x he has and i i'm not quoting him exactly i'm just paraphrasing he had an interview where he talks about how athletes and entertainers for the black community are all are kind of looked at as our leaders. And he says that that realistically shouldn't be the case. Um, they're not people designed, or I guess not in, in not, in not in all cases, but they're not necessarily equipped to speak on how to, you know, change our problems, how to, you know, get, you know, these certain things that we are talking about, they're, they're not the experts on it. Why right. are we looking to them for guidance? I know Dave Chappelle talked about it as well. Like I'm a comedian. I'm here to tell jokes. Don't look, don't ask me to tweet, you know, certain things or get people to, you know what I mean? But once again, there is that balance of using your platform to gain awareness for issues and get people to get active. Is that the extent to which, you know, athletes and entertainers should go? Or if, is it, is it really, does it really come down to, hey, you're more equipped to speak on these issues or to give guidance and give advice to people and you, not so much. You should probably just use your platform to try to gain awareness. Well, I mean, I think it would be an individual thing. There are some people, some athletes who are very knowledgeable and astute on certain issues that, you know, that they could bring awareness to and they can speak intelligently about it. And there's some who probably not. So I think on an individual basis, we can look at that. But I think as a whole, I wouldn't look to athletes and entertainers to become the spokespeople for our social, economic, political issues. I think you would leave it to people who deal with this and address it, study it, and have experience over a period of time and a number of years to be able to do that. There is one activist, a rapper, um, Killer Mike, who yeah. based on you know the things that I've heard him say, some of the action plans and the steps that he has spoke of seems to be very knowledgeable and capable, you know, of being the spokespersons for some of the activities and actions and the things that he wants to address in our community. So that's one instance where I would say, you know what, he can stand on his own and have that, that dialogue and be the spokesperson. There's others who be like, okay, how do we utilize and leverage your platform to be able to get these messages across so that these issues can be addressed? Mm. So to wrap up today's episode, I was as I'm sitting here, I'm thinking, you know, the title was sports distraction opportunity. And to answer that question, I think sports a distraction if you let it an opportunity if you use it. Uh, would you agree with that? 
wholeheartedly. I think that's 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 it. That's <laughs> like anything in life, you know. You can take money, you can take anything, you can use it as a source to do good, or it could be a distraction or something that you can use as a source to do things that are not so good. So it's really on how you how you view it, your point of view, and what you choose to do and actions you take, you know, as a result of, you know, whatever that may be. Well said, well said. Well, that's a wrap on the episode, Sports Distraction Opportunity. Choose wisely, if you will. And uh, we appreciate you for joining us on this episode and past episodes. And we'll help you tune in for future ones. Peace. All right, that'll wrap up today's episode. Glad we could take a moment to put you up on game. We post a new podcast every Sunday morning. Now you know. Peace.